0: friends Renee here I am one of your hosts for Big Stick Energy podcast we are on Tuesdays now every other week through the summer months because your girls need some time off and it's not ski season so we're having really awesome conversations with people who like summer sports because we also like summer sports and that's what we've been doing I'm Joined in this episode by my best friend Tori Anderson. We recently started a Instagram page specifically for Big Stick, so that is, I believe, at Big Stick Energy Pond. You can follow that for specific Big Stick Energy things. Uh, hopefully, you guys are all getting some nice weather. It is finally. Finally, this week, warm here. So, first real dose of summer sun that we've had. I've been out riding my bike a fair bit. I have been crashing my bike more than a fair bit, but it's been a good time and I haven't hurt myself too bad yet. So, see how she goes. Today's episode is with Bennett. She is awesome. I learned a lot just listening to her experiences, her perspectives. You know, there's things she talk about, she talks about that I can't speak to myself and and so it's just been a really awesome conversation. She's very well spoken and we really get into size inclusion in the outdoor industry or honestly rather size exclusion and what it's like being a plus size athlete in this space how we define an athlete and the barriers that exist in those spaces especially in gear just finding gear does it even exist does it fit your body properly how are they developing it how are they testing it how does it get marketed xyz there's a lot that goes into it and i don't I honestly like never fully wrapped my brain around it. I knew that this existed. These issues existed and I saw it, but I don't think I fully understood the like breadth of it and how we could be doing such a better job because the people are there and the marketing does not reflect that. These folks that, aren't getting outside because they aren't being spoken to, they aren't being marketed to, things do not exist for them, and that's just really freaking sad, so really awesome conversation with Bennett, I can't wait to get into it, and we just have a couple of quick sponsor ads to run through, and then we'll get into this really rad, awesome conversation with Bennett. First one is Onyx. We've talked a lot about Onyx in the winter, started talking about Onyx for summer, whether you're hiking or trail running. It's great for summer activities too, not just ski touring. You can use it for your trip planning. You can use it for navigation en route. It is a map in your pocket, not your only tool, but definitely a great one to have. Something that I didn't know about Onyx app. This is an app you get from iTunes or wherever Android people get their apps. Sorry, I don't know how that works. But they also have functions to find campsites, to find boat launch locations, and also to figure out public lands access, which is all super key for summer because it's getting real hot out. Camping is sick, being in the water sick, And whether you're on a campsite that you pay for or a campsite that you don't and is a bit further in the bush, you can figure it out using the OnX app. So check it out, um, download it wherever you download apps, and get out there and get exploring. Our second sponsor for today's show is Darn Tough Vermont. They do Merino socks. Again, We're not just talking skiing and riding, they do summer socks as well, whether it's just a casual sock, trail running sock, hiking sock, they really have it all. Best thing about Merino is that it's very moisture wicking, whether it's winter keeping your feet warm or summer keeping your feet cool, also helps to resist the odor so you don't get that stank. Much better than cotton. They have a couple of really cool colorways, limited edition socks that are available on their website, www.darntop.com. And uh, specifically, it's a lightweight and no show kind of ankle sock for trail running, and then a mid weight, mid weight, words, mid weight kind of mid height hiking sock which are like basically my favorite way to have a running sock and a favorite way to have a hiking sock. So the other cool thing with Darn Tough is that they give back money to trails. So the Pacific Crest Trail, Appalachian Trail, and Continental Divide Trail, your purchase will help support the upkeep of these really awesome through hikes. So Darn Tough Merino, they make the most durable socks that you will ever own they'll replace them if you disagree so that's a pretty awesome claim go get yourself a pair you won't regret it
1: um do you just want to introduce yourself quickly and let everybody know who you are what you do any like important things that kind of
2: like lead into the story we're gonna talk about today yeah sure Uh, My name is Bennett Ron. Uh, My pronouns are she, her. I live in the Seattle area, which is uh, occupied Duwamish territory, unceded land. Um, The Duwamish are a tribe that's seeking federal recognition at the moment. So if you check out realrentduwamish.org, that's um, a place you can check out to learn more about that and also pay rent if you're in the area. Um, I am many things. I'm a multifaceted human. My favorite quote right now is I contain multitudes. I am a climber. I am a mountaineer. I'm a fat woman. I'm a queer person. I, um, you know, I'm a family member and a friend and many different things. I sometimes I'm a middle school teacher. Sometimes I'm a software engineer. Sometimes I'm a climbing guide. Like I do a lot of different stuff. Um, I'm also I guess an Instagram influencer and I have been working with a lot of brands um, in the recent years to expand their size lines um, and make outdoor gear and clothing more accessible to the literal average (laughs) human um, in the world who is above a size women's size um, 16. So that's a lot of words, but it's part of who I am. (laughs)
1: That might be one of the best spark notes introductions we've ever had. It was just like, boom, 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 boom. It just like lays it out. (laughs) It's so funny. (laughs) It's like so varied. Some people are like, hi, my name is Jeff. It's like, I am 20 years old. And you're like, cool, 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 okay." (laughs) And other people want to add like their pets' names, their grandpa's names. It's really like super diverse. So you did great. That like really paints. Yeah. Hopefully everybody's like, this is going to be a sick conversation. (laughs)
0: Yeah, because it is. (laughs) Yeah, where should we start here? Man, Um, I don't know.
1: After that, I was just like my spider brain, just like linked to so many different things. I wanted to ask, and then just, (laughs) yep.
0: Yeah. Well, when did you start climbing? Let's start there. Yeah, I started climbing uh, like
2: more than five years ago. Not quite six years ago. Um I worked actually at the middle school that I'm in right now. <laughs> um that has an outdoor I worked as a middle school teacher. It has a very outdoor focused program. So a lot of my colleagues were um very outdoorsy. I did not have a lot of outdoors experience. A lot of the outdoors experience that I have I gained through working at this school. Um, but you know, I wanted to hang out with my coworkers and they all wanted to climb at the climbing gym. So that was kind of where I started and I fell for it really hard, really fast. And just was kind of like, oh my gosh, like the joy of movement in climbing and the like poetry of like the strength and balance and um, like beta or sequencing of the climbing, it was just so, interesting to me even though I like fully expected as a fat person to not be able to do it at all because I've never in my life been able to do a pull-up so I was like well I won't be able to just succeed and then I was like oh actually there's a lot more nuance here um and it is something that I can succeed at and have a really good time at so that's kind of where my climbing career started and it's from there it's just kind of taken me in all kinds of different
0: directions yeah you do not need to do a pull-up to go climbing no I can tell you that myself (laughs) I've never get been able to do a pull-up. Yeah. <laughs> ever. And when I used to climb, I used to climb a lot. I was really into it for a while. And I've led up to, like, 5'11s. And I never could do a pull-up. I could climb wow. an overhung route. But I still – I think it's also, like, a mental block for me. But I have never in my life done a proper pull-up.
2: Climbing is so much more about, like – balance and nuance finger strength than it is about like raw arm strength
0: mm-hmm. and, and also th-
2: legs it's all about your legs
0: absolutely and i think that's kind of where i got away with it was being able to just put my feet up really high and push off on my legs and having some flexibility but i think that's a key like differentiation between like seeing guys start out climbing and girls start out climbing is mm-hmm. that sometimes dudes can muscle their way up some of the easier things Whereas the progression might be a little slower for women Mm. or like smaller folks. But then you learn a little bit more of the technique. So then when it starts to get hard, you've built up techniques to find your way around it instead of just getting used to muscling your way up everything.
2: Totally. Yeah, for sure.
0: But I don't know. That's kind of my own experience in it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bennett. (laughs) Sorry. I was just going to say that when I teach, so one of the things that I like to do is run like meetups and and intro to climbing courses um, for other plus size people through an organization I helped found called Climb Big. And like the things I always start with are like one, climbing is more about your legs than it is about your arms. So you don't need to be able to do a pull up. But then also it's just like, climbing is so much more about like technique and the joy of the movement than it is about just pulling really hard like we're not climbing ladders like we're climbing these really cool interesting problems and it's so much more about like figuring out things that work for you and if you watch me a you know 240 pound 5 foot 10 person climb a problem and then you watch my friend who's like you know 130 pounds and five foot four like we're gonna climb it totally differently it's not gonna look the same at all but that's so cool like that's really cool that we can both do these things and we just do them really differently and bodies are miraculous and wonderful you know (laughs) yes
1: I also have to say I am five foot four I'm very short and when I've gone with like guy friends who are like six feet tall you're like you just need to like reach this I was like Brandon, it's going to take four more moves for me to reach that than you. I was like, there is no way that is going to happen.
2: Right, but you probably can fit in spaces that I can't fit into. Like there are always times when like I have shorter friends or smaller friends who can like kind of get themselves like in on the wall in ways that I'm like, there's so much of me, it does not fit in that space or it does not fit in that shape. Like, (laughs) and I'm really envious.
1: Yep. That's a, yeah, it's a really like, my, my uh, partner is like a hardcore mountain biker. And I really got into climbing the summer before I met him. And when we started dating, I was just like, I, let's go like climbing. He was like, no, it's like, I, I don't do that. And it's like, we're gonna We're going to only mountain bike. So I didn't do it. And then this summer, I like put my foot down. I was like, you're coming with me. And he just doesn't (laughs) think that it's like adrenaline inducing or it's fun. It is like you are puckered when you're doing a gnarly route, but it's a different type of puckered than like skiing or like a fast downhill sport. It's like you have to have like very high levels of adrenaline, but then like focus and like balanced movements. It's like if you hand fist it, you're probably going to fall. I was like, it's just a different Mm -hmm. type of focus, which I loved. That difference for me because every other sport I do is like you have to go fast, like downhill, oh, yeah. and like to slow down within that same like peak of adrenaline and heart rate and really like focus. Also, the way that I talk to myself when I'm going up the wall is absolutely hilarious. I should actually film it one time. Like nobody can hear me, but I'm like, all right, we're gonna shift your weight to the left. Yep, good job. Hips to the wall, hips to the wall, and now find your hand hold. <laughs> and I'm like going all the way around. Oh, yeah. It's like don't look down, you will panic look up, keep going. You're doing great. <laughs> but I wish, uh, yeah, I should maybe film that one day. That would
2: be a funny thing to show. Oh, I definitely also am a big proponent of fear singing. So like, whenever I'm on, like, in a space where I'm like, afraid, I'll be like, and I'm gonna do this so I can get to the next bolt or whatever. <laughs> try to, like, like, trying to distract my brain from the fear squirrel by like, singing through it, not actual songs, just ones that are coming out of my face so that's
0: so funny yeah. i, I also ask, do the like, personal monologue <laughs> i'm nice. just
1: gonna ask like what's your go-to fear song but i almost i love that you make it up more but oh, i, I kind of wish it was something like like eminem you're like these weak arms are heavy there's vomit on a sweater already it's mom's spaghetti just to no, like no, because i so. can't
2: i'm not actually thinking i'm trying to like unthink you know i can't like Process. It's just sort of stream of consciousness. This is what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Focus, but disassociate
1: at the same time.
2: (laughs) It's a little bit of
1: like (laughs) in between. I feel that on a deep level. Actually, one of my repetitive behaviors is to sing song lyrics in my head on repeat. Oh, that was my doorbell. I apologize to everybody in advance. Um, But one of the songs I do repeat is Eminem. It is that song that that I just sang. That's why I know all the lyrics. Great.
2: Yeah. It's very
1: inspiring. (laughs) He is. What a guy. What a guy. Um, We stan. We stan. I think that this would be a really cool segue in into being like a plus size um, like athlete and in that space.
2: Yeah, sure. What do you want to know about it? (laughs) What can I tell you?
0: Have you felt any barriers trying to get into it? I mean, you mentioned a few that were like almost like intra personal, like that you placed on yourself a little bit starting out and that other people tend to place on themselves a bit starting out. But have you felt that from an interpersonal level as well? Or?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a, I think starting out as a plus size person in any active space, you're gonna run into several cultural norms that are gonna try and kind of knock you down um the first one is that almost all of the plus size people that i know have like really big trauma around being in quote-unquote athletic spaces because of many things like one being the kid in pe class who like got picked last for sports or wasn't considered athletic um i have been actually pretty athletic my whole life and i am very strong and very confident and like that doesn't mean I'm more or less worthy than anyone else, but like I was constantly told that I wasn't athletic because I actually wasn't very good at speed. <laughs> so, like I'm not very good at mountain biking or skiing because I don't like going fast um, and I wasn't very good at the sort of like soccer or whatever type sports, but I was always really strong and like actually like had pretty good cardio all of those things, but. I was told that I was unathletic because I was fat. And so you and pretty much every fat person that I know has had some version of that story of like, you don't belong here. You don't belong in athletic spaces. Um, And so you have to overcome that hurdle. You have to overcome that boundary. Um, And then, you know, also a lot of the plus size people that I know have like histories with disordered eating or people saying really fucked up things about their weight. Oh, actually, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, cool. (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, Like people trying to do um, dieting and exercise to make themselves thinner, to make themselves fit in, to make themselves quote unquote, right. Uh, And so like exercise spaces can be really triggering of those um, disordered habits around eating and exercise. And then there's also just like people's judgment. Like you go into exercise spaces, people look at you and they're like, oh either that person doesn't belong here or oh you're such a good fat person trying to lose weight and going to the gym and like all of that even if there isn't anybody thinking those things even if it's just in your head like we have all experienced that we've all felt those microaggressions, and so it's just like really hard going to that space so that can be like a huge barrier and then you go i mean and then there's just like the i'm the only one effect like you walk into a climbing gym often when i walk into a climbing gym i'm the only fat person in the room like by like a considerable amount. And I'm not even like, I'm in what in the plus size community we call small fat. Small fat is like size 16, 18, I think it's just 16, 18. And then there's mid fat, which is 20, 22. And then super fat, which is 24, 26. And then infinite fat is above that, I think. <laughs> um, so small fat, what that means is that I actually do have a lot of privilege as a plus size person. Oftentimes I can find clothing that fits. I often fit in like, airline chairs that kind of thing but i still have a lot of that like medical fat phobia or whatever that will come in and 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 also like people read me as fat people look at me and think you're a fat person and therefore you don't belong in these spaces or you don't do this kind of thing or you must be trying to lose weight by working out and like those are all not true i do belong in climbing spaces and i'm not even a little bit interested in losing mm-hmm. weight <laughs> and like um i love my body the way it is so yeah, I think those are some of the barriers. And 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 again, like talking about implicit versus explicit ways that people show that, like implicitly, it's like spaces just not having a lot of fat people in them and not being super welcoming to fat people. And then kind of explicitly, there's like... And one of those implicit things is is gear, right? If you don't have access to gear that fits you, you can't participate in an activity. So like, why aren't there a lot of plus-size skiers? Oh, because ski boots don't fit fat calves. Like, why aren't there a lot of plus-size climbers? Well, there's like literally one harness on the market right now that fits people above a size like 20. So like, and if you walk into a gym, are you going to have, a, are they going to have a rental harness that fits you? Maybe, probably not. So that's an implicit way that you can be excluded. And then explicitly, like I've had people i mean and everybody has these stories anybody with any kind of marginalized identity has a story where you're at a crag and like some dude bro walks up and like starts talking to the people around you like that you're they're serious but you're not (laughs) like so often people look at me in climbing spaces or in any kind of space and just think i don't know what i'm doing because i'm clearly the fat one there and like usually i'm the person in the room with the most experience and the most
0: training so
2: like those kinds of like kind of explicit microaggressive kinds of behaviors we also experience those.
0: Yeah, I was thinking about um, like, in regards to just like, general gyms, well, like not necessarily even a climbing gym, just in society, people assume that if a fat person is at the gym and working out, their intention is to lose weight. And right. I was thinking about the other day where I was like, well, no, like, it doesn't necessarily have to be that sure it could be and great for them. But you can also just be really strong and still be healthy at a bigger weight.
2: Yeah, and I think something we also talk about in the plus size community is that, like, it's also okay if you're not healthy. Like, it's okay to be fat and not healthy. Like, I am a fat person who's pretty healthy and pretty strong and pretty, like, athletic which is awesome and i'm valid but also people who aren't healthy and fat also deserve like respect and access to facilities to work out because all bodies need like movement that's part of the human experience and so like (laughs) you can be a thin unhealthy person and be in a gym and nobody will think twice about it probably won't even be able to tell or know that like i don't know you're you you have IBS and you're having a really bad time and you're low on energy or whatever. Um, but when you're a fat person, everyone always assumes it's because you're trying to lose weight or you're unhealthy or whatever. And it's just like, why? We don't owe you anything.
0: <laughs> I know.
2: No. I
1: like. I actually have a, a f- kind of funny story about this. It was during my like internet fighting days where I was just like in the comments because I was so mad at everybody all the time for just being stupid. I was like, how are you this biased? And like, unaware, but this girl that I went to high school with actually posted a comment saying like, today I was at the gym and I, you know, I didn't feel like I wanted to be there, but then I saw this overweight person working out and it inspired me. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. And I commented and I was like, that is extremely fat phobic. And I was like, why do you have to attach somebody's weight to them inspiring you to work out why can't it just be seeing other people working out inspires you to work out because they're showing up it's like why is that a thing and this was from my hometown I grew up in like a small very white privileged town in Alberta where the hockey boys still give me nightmares and I like everybody I went to high school with I like got into the comments and I was like trying to educate them and then there were some friends that I did have who are um like my, one of my friends, he, he just went through like a huge weight loss journey and he was like, I don't see this as fat phobia. I'm part of the community. And like, I know that being autistic, we can have internalized ableism as well. Mm -hmm. So like internalized fat phobia can also be a thing in this community. But, um, was I, was I on, was I right there in a way? So let's
2: break down down your experience, your experience there, like this, in this example this person is saying i'm inspired by this person who is fat because they're at the gym and if they can do it i can do it that implies that you're this person who's posting thinks that fat people are less able to show up to the gym than they are which is a wrong assumption and that's yes. where the fat phobia comes in i think in terms of like is it wrong that you found this person inspiring well the conversation about inspiration is one that like, is a very nuanced and very hard to deal with. It definitely does seem like certain people get used as inspiration porn more often than others. I think in this case, probably fat people running on a track is one of them, but often it's more people in the disability community get like talk about this. Like, it's not an inspiration that I'm getting my groceries. Like, shut up. (laughs) You do this all the time. Um, But like, I think, I mean, I think you're totally right um and i think like you said there like fat phobia can exist and i think a lot of fat people still have a lot of internalized fat phobia it's really hard to be told your whole life that you're wrong and bad for being fat um and i think that a lot of people do find a lot of solace in like wow i overcame this character flaw of mine that is my my weight and therefore um I win at things. And and I'm not trying to diminish your Facebook friend's weight loss journey. Like that's their journey. But I don't actually see that. it's. I, I think that it's okay for some people to still be offended at being called an inspiration for just showing up to the gym and like moving their body to feel good.
1: A hundred percent. The biggest, um, the inspiration part, I think that's a really interesting thing to unpack because I get told I'm brave all the time. I'm just mm-hmm. like, just want to exist you guys like i don't think it needs to be brave but okay i'll take it am i tough a hundred percent but does it need to be brave in certain contexts not really but that's fine um but what the biggest qualm that i had was her taking to social media to post that
2: mm-hmm. yeah and I mean, that's it's like, also kind of like look at me i'm congratulating myself for being inspired by a fat person it's like a little bit like look at me i went on a mission trip to Want, like hashtag Africa, like, or something like that. You know, it's like that's you know, exactly. I was like, you're like feels like maybe like, you didn't actually do this for the nice thing. You're doing this for the clout that you will get for talking about it.
1: A hundred percent. It's so inauthentic and just like ooh, it was just gross. But um. Yeah, that was when I was like 19, I think very fresh to the world, very angry with the world, like coming out of my small hometown in very white Alberta. So it was just like, yeah, jumping in there. But that's a really great way to like, kind of unpack that. And I love that you brought up that you just because somebody is like overweight, the connotation that they are immediately unhealthy. Um, actually, I would love to ask what the right like, what is the right language to use around this community? Like if you're not part of it, like what is the appropriate way to approach it?
0: Oh my gosh. That was think- the thing that I wanted to ask next too, because yeah, I, I see folks using the word fat to describe themselves, but I still feel uncomfortable using that word myself to describe someone else. Cause I don't want to, I don't want it to come off as an insult if it's received that way. And so that was kind of my, question too is like being someone who is in the community using words to describe yourself versus words that other people might use to describe you. Yeah so
2: are you all familiar with the identity first versus person first language debate is not the right word but like conversation happening in the um, disability community?
1: Yes so like I prefer like I am autistic not like right. I am a person with autism because I exactly. I can't separate autism from my identity. It shapes my identity. If that. But makes there
2: sense. are a lot of people with autism who prefer to be referred as as a person with autism because they want to be considered a person before this other piece of themselves that's just a part of their identity. And I think that like those are both pretty valid standpoints. I am not a person with a disability, so I am I don't have a like to I don't have an opinion. Like I'm going to ask you what you prefer to be called. I mean, it's kind of like pronouns, right? Like, you know better than I do what you identify as and what you want to be called. So I'm going to ask you what you prefer. And if you change your mind, I will also, you know, roll with that. I think the same is true with that language. And we have like, there are some things, you know, <laughs> that are, like definitely things you probably shouldn't say to people, but there's a lot of different ways to refer to the plus size community. And there are some safer ways to go about it. And, and I think mostly it's just asking people what they're comfortable with when i consult with like brands about how they should do messaging for sort of broadly generally people what's like the least offensive we tend to use the word the phrase plus size which most for most of us does not have any negative connotations like you know kids on like bullies on the playground weren't being like me me plus size like that so it doesn't have a lot of like sad and icky and horrible feelings with it But it's also like it's a clothing term. And like in a lot of ways, my body like in its purest form doesn't have any clothing on it. So I prefer a descriptor that's like more about just what my body is, which is fat. But fat is a word like you said, Renee, that like a lot of people are pretty uncomfortable with and it feels bad and it feels icky. So it really has to do with personal experience. I have plenty of plus size friends who are not comfortable being called fat, especially by other people. Like they might refer to themselves as it, but they don't want people to call them that. And so generally when I'm speaking for myself, I say fat. When I'm speaking of the community, I say plus size, but it's variable. There's also people who prefer curvy or prefer I don't know, there's like, like BBW. I don't really like either of those. They both feel gross to me for other ways. There's like just a lot of different um, feelings and conversations that are happening all the time. And it's sort of like, gotta ask people to know, but the safest way, as far as I can tell, and again, I'm one person, I am not a monolith, you know, like, or the pluses community is I mean, not a monolith, but like the safest, most politically correct way to say it is plus size.
0: Thank you. Yeah, I, I was wondering, and I, I guess it's I especially because I know that I am a smaller person. I just really am conscious that I don't want it to be received that way, mm-hmm. and people just like to comment on bodies sometimes, no matter what they look like. And yep. it, in general, so
2: I, don't comment on people's bodies. Like wh- the, yeah. I mean, the reason plus size is powerful, right, is that it can and it, it can inform access will you have access to clothing that fits you will you have access to gear is it plus size um when we talk about like people that aren't plus size we use the word straight size because that's the other that's like the opposing industry term because then you don't have to say things like thin or skinny which are also words that have been used to be mean to people Mm -hmm. like People talk about this all the time. Like body positivity covers, you know, all kinds of bodies. All kinds of bodies have had horrible mean things said to them. And so I don't want anybody to feel bad on any either side of the spectrum. I think when we talk specifically about fat liberation and plus size um activism, we're not saying, you know, people who are thin or straight-sized people have not also faced like discrimination and pain related to the way that their bodies are perceived, but that like plus size bodies, especially bodies above even where I'm at in a small fat zone, have like very specific places where they are not allowed to be and where they are treated as lesser and bad. And so that's, there's like a lot of nuance and there's a lot of language, um, but yeah, definitely things to be, to be learned. And I, I continue to learn all the time too, because like, I'm only ever an expert in my own experience. For For sure. For (laughs) sure. Jinx, jinx.
1: <laughs> you only a pop. Ooh, how many times do Or wait, do they still say that in middle
2: school then? <laughs> um, or are we know. just old and outdated?
0: <laughs> we do we still don't jinx? say
2: pop here because I'm from the West Coast, so we say soda, but like. Oh. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Canadians
0: refer to it as a pop. Yeah, we I've always, always called it pop. People. But you <laughs> did kind of allude to it earlier. Um, as far as sizing goes for outdoor sports, it's not great. It's not great. And you've been working with some brands to expand on this. So I think this is a good time to dive into that. Because I'm learning a lot. Um, I mean, part of this is my own privilege that when I go into a store to buy clothes for whatever sport that I want, I can usually find them. And sometimes it's hard because I have skier quads or biker quads and some places don't make clothes for that which makes no sense for me because everyone that mountain bikes a lot like cycling makes your quads big like why do the shorts not allow for this i don't understand but i at least can still go into a shop and find something that fits me reasonably well on the shelf yeah and that's not the experience for everyone and quite frankly if i couldn't go into a store and find something that fit me that would really deter me from doing the sport in general because you can't yeah. get stuff to do the sport. And I think that is really just like honestly heartbreaking that people just have that barrier of not, yeah, I hate that. I Let's talk about it. I actually, I worked in a uh, outdoor retail
1: and ski retail for, oh shit, this is long, I'm old now. I've been doing it since I was 14. So that's what, 14 years, I'm 28. Is that good math? Yeah. Yep, 14 years. I've had women cry in the change room because they can't find sweatpants, or not sweatpants, uh, ski pants that fit them. And I bring them a men's extra large size and they're absolutely bawling, And it is so heartbreaking to not feel included in yep. that space or to have something that you like. and. Um, I've had young girls get really nervous and uncomfortable. Uh, it's, it is, it is absolutely horrible. (laughs) and It's something that really needs to change because not having diversity in spaces like that, like, uh, consumerism is still a a part of culture and it validates and continues to support a lot of those harmful biases towards the plus size community. So I would love to hear like what can change and your experiences with it and what companies are trying to do we all deserve to look cute out there god damn it my favorite outfit is my ski outfit okay it's like the one that i feel really really good in <laughs>
2: so sweet i love that yep. yeah i mean definitely we all deserve to look cute but i think mostly what i'm working on is we all deserve to have access to the things that enable us to do the sports first and then we'll get to cute but um, <laughs> i think because i mean like you said so like uh there's a lot of layers, obviously, to every conversation. I think that in the world of plus-size people in the outdoors, uh, there have not been a lot of plus-size people in the outdoors historically. Partially, that is just because of those implicit and explicit ways that we get excluded. Um, and and a lot of that is also like representation. You don't see people that look like you doing the thing, and you think that, therefore, people that look like you don't do the thing. Um, That was definitely true for me with climbing, right? We talked about, I was like, oh, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be able to do this because I'm fat and can't do a pull-up and I've never seen a fat person climb. Well, turns out fat people can climb. There's a lot of them out there now. But when I started five and a half years ago, there was not a lot of them. And I didn't really, I was like, wow, I guess I'm a trailblazer. There were some, I just didn't know them. And there were not a lot in like the spaces that I operated in. So part of what I do with brands is kind of like that representation piece. It's like, no no fat people can do skiing ice climbing like backcountry skiing climbing all of these things we just and there's like and and brands love to say there's not a market for this and i'm like well there's not a market for it because there's not a market for it like i know that that sounds stupid but when you say it out loud like you have not created a market for this therefore people are not buying the thing because the thing doesn't exist so you like (laughs) yeah. <laughs> that logic like, is like It's circular. literally
0: <laughs> your fault that there is no market for this. We exactly <laughs> literally <laughs> had
1: this exact conversation with multiple business leaders and brands. They're like, well, like just this is totally like kind of parallel context, but it's like women are not interested in buying
2: high quality skis or stiff boots or anything. Women are just and buying like, the men's skis because there aren't available skis for women in those types and styles. Yeah,
1: and boots is like a whole like segment of it because stiff boots equal more response into your equipment. And we have, like you said, the calf positioning, um, everything like that, the anatomy is different and the boot shape is different. And they're like, well, there's not a market. It costs us too much to produce it to put it out there. And we're like, okay, let us do a survey. And the amount of women that were like, I would love a stiff boot. Like boots are one of the biggest problems, but it's like, you need to create the market and invest in it and you need to give it time. Yes. So you need to market
2: it it appropriately too. I mean, that's the other thing is that like Mm. a lot of brands will be like, Oh, well we put out one plus size shirt and pair of pants in black and we didn't sell out. So there's obviously not a market. It's like, well, one, did you tell plus size people it was available or were they supposed to just like read your mind? Because, uh, historically, you haven't had those sizes. So like, how are they supposed to know? And two, you only gave them two options, and they're both black, like, nobody wants that anyway. (laughs) You didn't do market research, you didn't figure out what your market wanted. And then of course, there's not a market and you didn't tell your market that it was there. So like, the lack of effort because and all of this has to do with bias right the bias exists and then they com- confirm that bias by saying oh well clearly <laughs> when i create this line that doesn't succeed then i am confirmed that um it's not going to succeed just like you were saying tori about like the ski boots you say women don't ski hard so they don't need hard boots like and when we put out hard boots for women they don't get bought it's like well did you do it right because if you didn't do it right then it's actually more like you didn't do it right you didn't research your market you didn't understand what they needed and you didn't advertise it to them directly so historically <laughs> that's been the problem and then you look at brands like for example gregory packs right there was this idea that like fat people don't backpack or if they do you can just buy a little like seat belt extender basically to make your waist drop bigger but like Basically, that's what fat people had been doing, just buying really uncomfortable packs that didn't fit them right. And then Gregory was like, well, maybe we should actually build a backpack that fits a plus size person. They got a lot of like icons <laughs> in my world in and to help them design like Jenny Brusso and, and um like did a lot of fit testing, did a lot of market research. Their pack line sold out in like like they launched their pack line, it sold out in like a half an hour. Like clearly there is a market but like Gregory did it right they like met their they they did the research they figured out what people wanted they figured out how to make it fit right they offered the right kinds of options and the right diversity of options and then they marketed it and people were like Hell yes. Freaking finally, we've been asking for this forever. And and I think the same is true with all of these other brands that are starting to do work. Like if you put in the work to research with your market and figure out what we want and what we need and also partner with people like me, with athletes like me that are kind of pushing the boundaries of what plus size people can do to show like, we want to be in your advertisements like you know what's going to sell plus size gear if you have fat people doing the sports in the gear you know and not just like have it available on your website so it's a very multifaceted like thing but the market is there we just you just have to access it correctly and i think there are some brands that are doing that really well and there's some brands that are like well we tried and it didn't work so we're just not going to or you have brands and i won't name names because I'm not here to start an Internet war, but there are brands that have sworn up and down, like, oh, we will never market to fat people because fat people aren't our audience. And then now they're like hustling to get on the train because they realize that, you know, 50 percent of the United States population is actually outside of their size range. And they're going to lose out on an entire market that like everybody else is going to be capitalizing on. So I hate capitalism, but I know how to operate within it. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Right.
0: i love that you
1: were like i don't want to start an internet war but like this podcast was literally built on the back of renee and i starting and finishing many internet wars like (laughs) rallying our freaking community to just call out very bad things that companies do and also my like real life job is actually in marketing so everything that you said is spot on and i am like because i have like lawful thinking or like systems thinking so like a plus B has to equal C. You cannot just jump to C and make assumptions about A and B. It's like, I do not agree with businesses operating like that. I do not think a single decision that they make should be assumptive based. And I watch out for confirmation bias in their data analytics Mm -hmm. and in their research and in their segmentation profiles and everything that you said about like doing the proper research, understanding it, marketing it. It's like understanding consumer behavior, the different facets of consumerism, like, marketing and capitalism can be used to create inclusivity it can be done sustainably and it doesn't have to be this vein of like our existential crisis basically yeah, as we're pushing true. into like the climate crisis everything it's just poor like attitudes and behaviors and practices of business that's what it comes down to that's how we got to where we are today and marketing informs a lot of the culture that we have surrounding yeah like the the plus size community women like it's like marketing literally shaped an entire like historical movement like through different phases of female beauty bodies like capitalizing on them like objectifying them um creating like those unsafe spaces those standards it's marketing is guilty for all of that stuff mm-hmm. critically Right, and like you
2: which
1: does. is why we trying to like
2: yeah, just fixing the representation problem of like trying to get trying to get the outdoors to reflect the diversity of the world, um, and and then in order to do that, I think we need the diversity of the athletes that brands represent and the um, the like marketing material that brands put out to have that diversity as well. And I think that's an interesting conversation that's being kind of played out in the athlete space around like. You know who deserves to be a i don't know north face athlete or whatever and like is it just the people that climb really really hard because those people are probably going to be white men and they're probably going to be white men with a lot of financial support in their background because that's who can afford to climb really hard and that's who's been exposed to climbing since they were seven and all of that Or do you actually want your athlete team to be encompassing of people that look like the people who are buying your stuff and people who climb like the people who are going to buy your stuff or whatever? I don't know. I have my personal opinions about it. I think that there's room for both of those things, but um, it's definitely a conversation that's been played out.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think there is place for both because people do find inspiration in folks who are doing really wild and groundbreaking stuff and there's always going to be a place for that in extreme sports especially and brands are going to support that and keep pushing forward the progression of these sports in that way but like you say that's not who's buying the gear and i think that was a big learning curve for me and working with brands is trying to separate that of like okay well not everyone skis like me but how do we sell this product to everyone else? Because not everything is for me, but there's a lot of things that are good for most people Mm -hmm. and still like recognizing the varieties in that. And also only offering a pair of black pants. You have to be visible sometimes outside, like black is the worst color. (laughs) Also climbing is is a a summer
1: sport. it's a summer sport black absorbs heat like i have made that mistake so many times climbing on a really hot wall and you're just like like you don't want sweaty fingers when you're up there
0: that's like the exact opposite of what you need when you're on the wall so yeah yeah. but i just like climb like climbing hiking it's good to have a bright color on you because people can see it and they. Can see where you are, and that's a good thing when you're outside in the mountains, in wild totally. places, to have some aspect of visibility. But- I think it
1: comes down to exactly what uh, Bennett said earlier, which was just like it's the
2: the privilege of accessibility and option, and it's mm-hmm. like yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and you're talking about like Renee, you're referencing a safety feature, right? That like yeah. I live in seattle so it's always raining so like a raincoat is something that pretty much anybody that does spends any time outside has Uh, and having a really brightly colored rainbow raincoat can be a safety feature like you're more visible for rescue you're more visible for not getting hit by a car more visible for whatever but like that is a nuanced feature of safety like there are still a lot of plus-size people that can't find a raincoat that even fits um Mm -hmm. so like and, and in the Pacific Northwest, like having effective rain gear is a safety hazard. Like you can't confidently go out in, what, in all kinds of weather, you can't confidently go into certain kinds of terrain if you don't have waterproof layers that are actually like will keep you dry and warm and safe. Um, and I think so a lot of the work that I do, like partially it's about like looking cute and and being yourself like i'm the first person to say like i want all of my clothes to be really brightly colored and i don't actually need them to match it's fine if they clash i would prefer to have as much like chaos energy as possible but i also know a lot of plus-size people that i mean like i said we're not a monolith like and also think just like people of all kinds that do like black and don't mind being kind of in the all-black attire and that's great for them but i really do think that like access to variety, access to uh, different kinds of safety layers is really inc- incredibly important to do these things. And I think like one of the things that I talked about when I worked with the outdoor research line recently, like what we talked about over and over again is like what this line does is it provides you with a layering system that like will keep you safe. like part of the reason I didn't get that into skiing is because like, I was so uncomfortable in the layer, like in the men's extra large snow pants that I would try it on in an REI. Cause it was the largest size they had and they didn't fit right. And they, whatever. And like, that's a safety hazard. If your pants don't fit and your pants are falling down and you've got snow in your butt. And like, then all of a sudden you become cold and you become, you know, risk of hypothermia, you become, all kinds of different risks versus and so then like i'm never gonna escalate that into becoming a backcountry skier because like how like in the backcountry you have to be so prepared um for being out and being warm and dry and i think like when you extrapolate those kinds of things like access to safety layers and safety gear is something that so many of us like have struggled harnesses is the same thing. Like, like I said, there is currently one harness on the market that fits people that are above like a two X. Um, so if you want to go climbing and like, I know a lot of people who are three X and above that are very into climbing and very good at climbing. Like their size does not mean that they can't climb, but they like lack of access to gear means that they cannot, safely do anything other than bouldering and like that's fucked up (laughs) that's that's stupid why why do we have that oh it's just because of bias and yeah so i think that like definitely i'm here for like diversification of color diversification of like access and and actually renee you brought up a really good point about like the different sizes of pants and how like a lot of, of straight size women actually have a really hard time with pants in particular because of the shapes of their bodies and how those are not quote, unquote, industry standard, which are usually cut to, like, not as athletic women, and like very, like, sort of (laughs) straight sized. Um, So, like, I'm very for just the, the diversification of gear, like, like, let's have a lot of different kinds of brands that are catering to a lot of different body styles. But like, we need diversification, we need, like, more access and more options, so that more people can have what they need to do the things that they want to do um rather than just sort of like everybody has to have everything that's not really what i'm saying i'm saying that we need more access across the board
0: 100 percent. yeah yep which brand is it that does the climbing harness
2: it's the misty mountain cadillac um yeah, sponsor me. No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we can take it and we'll be like, at Misty
2: Mountain. <laughs> well, just because we
0: have mentioned it, like maybe people are listening will wanna know. Several
2: times. I also definitely have sold many, many of those harnesses before because they are, they're also really comfortable. I mean, just since we're talking about it, like they have really wide um, strap. They're big wall harnesses, which is what they are originally designed for. So they've got like a ton of gear loops and they've got really wide straps. So like when you're a heavier person, being in a harness with narrower straps means those straps are going to dig in a lot more, so they're a lot more uncomfortable, but the Cadillac is pretty comfortable because it's got white straps.
0: I mean, they literally call it a Cadillac, so. mm -hmm. Yep, that's (laughs) my baby. My Cadillac, my caddy. My baby. I (laughs) I I figured since we keep mentioning indirectly this harness, we might as well just say what it is.
2: (laughs) Misty Mountain Cadillac. Misty Mountain Cadillac. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe we can make a meme around that and tag them and be like, Cough, cough, nudge, nudge, sponsor Bennett, what's up? <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll send a strongly worded positive email.
0: <laughs> great. Yes, have, here for the people. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any brands that you do work with quite regularly? I mean, you don't have to devolve yeah. to much information mean, so to you, the- to, but.
2: yeah i was on the gregory ambassador team last year um and so that's i like have tried out a couple of their packs there are other backpack brands that are breaking into the plus size market but they were kind of like first on scene for specifically plus size uh packs um and uh also last year i was an ambassador slash yeah, ambassador is the right word, but also like part of the advising team um, for outdoor research. Those are two brands that are, like two of the bigger brands that I've worked with. I've also worked with um, Alpine Parrot, which is a smaller uh, Latinx-owned, um, women-owned brand that's trying to, to fix the pants problem, and they've got a really cool way of doing that. Um, let's see. I've worked with a lot of different people, but those are the ones that come off the top of my head right now. Um, and I've modeled for other brands too, but it's not the same as like working with them on their product specifically. Word.
1: I know you, okay, mm, no, we're not doing internet fights. I wanna know the brands that were like, we ain't gonna do
2: that. I don't, sorry, I'm not gonna pick that fight.
1: <laughs> it's okay. We can have a off the rec. I would just, would be curious. Um, Cause I think like one of my biggest qualms, I love the word qualm. It's one of my favorite words. My biggest qualms with marketing is like performative uh, representation or inclusivity or messaging where there's no like authenticity behind it.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I I told like my, my current employer, we're talking about like Pride Month. And realistically, we don't have anybody on staff that could speak to that experience. And I was like, they were like, we want to do a post. I was like, you should not do a post. I was like if you want to do a post and you want to educate you need to pay somebody to consult on how to do this or we need to figure out like a way that's not performative it's not like um what would the what would the phrase be for like like you know how it's like the white savior it's like the say it's the savior complex basically mm-hmm. if that mm-hmm. makes sense like it needs yep. to be like it needs to be tangible and like representative of the community and actionable and authentic like it can't be performative and one of the biggest things is that like organizations will reach out to people of marginalized groups and they're like, consult us on this, like help us do this and we'll give you like free product or like just do a good thing for us. And it's like, no, you need to freaking pay them because realistically expanding your market to be more
2: inclusive means that you're going to profit. hmm yeah. And you lack the experience to understand me and my community and what we need. And so you need to pay us for our experience so that you can then take our money <laughs> and get paid to, um, I guess, exploit those needs that we have. Totally. I, I also wanted to throw out that you savior, savior complex is a great phrase for it. I also call it a colonization or a colonizer mindset. Like when straight people take over uh, and wanna talk about, you know, queer issues, like that's kind of a colonizer mindset. Like you don't go on there, that's not your space. Like maybe take a back seat and just listen or whatever. Like not, obviously there's nuance, obviously like it's not the only way that can, that can be seen, but yeah, those are all are tied into each other. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to put it.
1: Um, just kind of like Okay, I keep using the word edging. I know it's inappropriate and it's like a sex term, but it is so relevant to so many things outside of Pornhub. But edging like that topic, what are some ways that like straight sized people could um, support like the plus size community? Like, again, like getting rid of that colonized perspective of like dominating overpowering plus size voices like how can they elevate it continue the conversation and just try to support change especially in the outdoor space because it's not just climbing it's it's all sport gear that is a problem it's the industry that's a problem
2: yeah I mean I think there's a lot of things I think similar to pretty much any space where you have an oppressed identity that is saying we need help, like really what you need to do is listen and amplify, Um, follow plus size creators, follow plus size athletes and influencers and listen to what they're saying, listen to their experiences and really try to like, when I say, this is a story that happened to me that felt like fat phobia, or this is a story that happened to me that felt like homophobia or whatever, like try to be like, I'm going to hear that and I'm going to digest it and I'm going to learn from it. And I'm going to reject the idea that I need to jump in and correct you on your own experience. <laughs> like, I think that's the thing that happens a lot. Um, I see it a lot when people like a thing that happens for, I think, fat people and also some like uh, people with other identities is that you'll get people on the trail that are like, oh, my God, good for you being out here hiking. This is like, wow, congrats. Um, and then like your straight sized friends don't necessarily get that as often. And so you say, I don't really like it when people are congratulating me for being outside and just like existing. Uh, And then people will say, oh, they're just trying to be supportive. They're just trying to be nice. They're just trying to be kind. They're trying to be welcoming. And like, sure, but also in oppression spaces, we talk about the difference between intent and, an intent and impact. And like the intent is that you're trying to be welcoming and supportive, that's great. The impact is I feel infantilized, I feel othered, I feel not welcome because you are making me feel different than the other people that you interact to. Like this has happened to me like a very clearly, delineatedly on trails before where I will like have fallen I don't know, 15, 20 feet behind the friends that I'm hiking with, my friends will say, like people will pass my friends and say, hi, good morning. And they'll look at me and they'll be like, oh my God, you're almost there, you're doing so well. Like, (laughs) clearly my experience is different and therefore I'm telling you that my experience is different and I need you to hear what I'm saying and internalize it and not, and like reject the, oh, but, oh, but like the oppositional. Um, instinct. So I think that's like the biggest piece for like what allies can do is just listen, listen, and internalize and understand. Um, I think. Then the next step always comes around advocacy. If you see something, say something. And that's true of pretty much every kind of advocacy, right? Like, once you understand what the problems are and when people do things that are problematic and fucked up, like you as a person with privilege should say, stand up and say something. There's, I have a friend named Annalisa who's really good at this. Like, she'll call brands out. She's a straight size person and she'll call brands out and be like, Your recent line had no plus size inclusivity. That's fucked up. Like, that's awesome that she, a white person in the, or sorry, a straight sized person in the industry is like calling those things out so that I don't have to, because, you know, sometimes you get seen as the squeaky wheel. So that's really helpful and really wonderful. I think another thing that I really do need to bring up is the idea that like, like body positivity is a thing that everybody wants to get on board with. And I'm like, so here for that. (laughs) Um, I really want everyone to love their bodies. Hell yeah. But, um, body positivity was started by like fat black women, like, you know, <laughs> plus size, like like super fat and above black women who were trying to point out the ways that the world was discriminating against them because of their size. And like body positivity has largely been taken over by like, I love my body and I'm rejecting this concept that like I should fit into any kind of societal beauty norms. Like awesome, but, maybe let other people talk on the subject like maybe you've had your say and it's time to back down right like maybe don't dominate the conversation when the conversation is about a lot more about privilege than it is just about your own identity so that's i mean again there's nuance there and i'm not saying nobody like people should get off the hashtag body positivity hashtag but I think that you need to understand if you're going to be speaking about body positivity, you also better be speaking up for fat people and you better be speaking up about access and um, you better be speaking up about how fucked up it is that like, you know, people that are larger than me don't have access to reindeer. Like, okay, it's more than just like, do you love your tummy or whatever?
1: Yeah, no, every single one of those paint points, sorry, words was a certified banger. And I love that you brought up the concept of body positivity and where the movement started. And it's actually like a very similar narrative to uh, like feminism and like women's Mm -hmm. suffrage. Like it was started by black women and white women and
2: queerness. Yeah. It's like pride was a riot. Black trans women started pride. Like yeah, it's become like a cis white male thing.
1: And there's, (laughs) there's multiple different uh, examples throughout history where like a, um, you know, like, I can't remember who there was a a black woman wrote this amazing speech, like absolutely amazing speech that has been referenced by black activists in the modern day and mostly like political figures or like white political figures. And they're referencing it. But the speech that they're referencing is actually one that a white woman rewrote, because she took this black woman's speech and then rewrote it and then published it. And the black woman that actually wrote the original speech didn't get a single dollar from this publishing because this white woman took that, like, this is feminism. Like I'm gonna say that this voice is the right tone of voice for this, even though like intersectionality proves that there are certain Mm -hmm. groups that have multiple marginalized identities and oppressed identities, and that needs to be respected. And it's like paying attention to those facets of activism is so important. And I think Mm -hmm. like one of my favorite, Black activists on TikTok was talking about how in order to be an effective ally and stand together, you need to process your own internalized stuff first. Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. Like
1: you need to process your own internalized fat phobia. You need to process your own internalized misogyny and you need to like your own internalized like racism or like white supremacy. Like you really need to look at yourself and do the work before you can stand up effectively and not centralize yourself as the victim and not react It's like you can't be an ally without that. In in some sense, like Mm -hmm. kind of like confronting your like white fragility in a way. I know that I've had a lot of conversations with family members about that because they get upset the second the word privilege comes out of my mouth. It's like I'm not privileged. I'm not this. And I was like, you are. And it's like, or like this is racist towards white people. And I was like, "Mm, that doesn't work in a colonized society, unfortunately. Like if you look at the literal definition of racism like xyz and it's the same thing with any of like the obias or the isms yeah. but, like mm-hmm. you know you have to process it yourself and do the work so I hope that people can really.
2: recognize that yeah I mean I think also like yeah it's just uh we are sitting here having a conversation about racism right but like <laughs> we are uh repeating ideas that we've learned from usually Black creators or, like, Indigenous creators or whatever, who are telling us those things. And, like, so this is the idea of amplification, like, finding, like, the things that resonate with you that you learn from, then tell other people to go learn from those sources. Um, Like, I, you know, have learned so much about, like, fat phobia and fat culture from a lot of creators on the internet, and I, you know, tag them, and I try to amplify them. So I think, yeah, definitely credit where credit is due, and, and, like, (laughs) Uh, acknowledging your own shit and learning about your own shit and processing your own shit. And like, especially um, understanding when to like step down and say, this isn't my area. Um, I'm going to pass the mic. Definitely. I think listening
1: is the big one there. It's like actually Mm -hmm. listening, like processing that defensive bubble that comes up where you need to say something you need to correct, but just listen,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: absorb, Mm -hmm. and like recognize how that information is critical and you need to just people or it's interesting. Like in marketing, we look at how people think that they cognitively process information and they're like making logical decisions, but they're, they're actually not like, especially in neurotypical brains, the, the crossover of like emotional and cognitive processing, you can't actually separate them. And that's what, like marketers try to to target is that like overlap of like emotional resonance with like logical kind of like central processing and facts but it also depends on like the product that you're looking at and a lot of people do have emotional reactions to these topics without realizing it they think that they're cognitively mm-hmm. processing it and that like their facts are valid but in reality they have been taught something that has caused this emotional reaction and to
2: impact that is very hard Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I think the like the quote unquote logical response of, oh, you're promoting obesity and obesity is uh, like (laughs) people who are fat are unhealthy and therefore like like brands that have fat people on their pages are promoting like the concept of, of unhealthiness. And that's the thing that gets thrown around a lot in the outdoors communities. Like we're all about like health and fitness and whatever. And like fat people are the opposite the antithesis of that. And like, actually statistically, like that's just like kind of in non-factual, like there's a lot of, correlation between fatness and disease but also there's a lot of correlation between poverty and disease and there's a lot of correlation between a lot of other things so I'm not a a medical expert I'm not about to like try and spit facts but it's just like do you like are you logically saying that like fatness and like promoting fatness is Uh, like a problem or are you reacting because you've been told this thing and you've upheld this belief and um, maybe you tortured yourself over this belief, right? Like you've made yourself miserable because you've been told your whole life that being fat is bad and like maybe you're wrong and maybe you have to like deal with that and maybe that means that you've spent a lot of time doing something to make yourself thin and and you didn't actually need to or whatever like it's really hard it is really hard and that is like the emotional piece of it and the reactive piece of it
1: 120 percent. I think I've talked about this on the podcast previously, Um, so I'm going to say it again. I hope nobody here knows who my mother is, but my mother is extremely fat phobic, and I've had full on arguments with her. She's like a professional triathlete, Um, and my whole life growing up, like at the grocery store if there was a plus size family in front of us looking at what they're purchasing, she'd be like, I can't believe that woman's feeding that to her kids. Like they're gonna this, so unhealthy, so unhealthy, this and this, or like she would call me skinny fat growing up or, Mm. um, you know, like all these different aspects. And when I've tried to argue with her about it and be like, mom, this is fat phobic. Like it is 120% as I've like educated myself and unpacked growing up with that and what it's done and like what it did to my sister, like affected my sister so much more than it did to me. Um, and my mom was like, well, I have a kinesiology degree. It's not wrong. Like, this is right. I'm educated in this. And I was like, you were educated within a certain boundary of knowledge. Medical fat phobia is
2: also really real.
0: Oh, oh my gosh. 100, absolutely. absolutely. 100%. I talked to someone who wanted to go into med school and they were like, yeah, I want to, I want to be a doctor of whatever type. And, and they said, yeah, because I don't want to deal with fat people and I don't want to deal with old people. I just want to deal with people who like, are healthy and have interest in being healthy. And I was like, whoa, you should never be a doctor, first off. And second off, you clearly have no idea how obesity works and the way that the hormones factor into that and how genetically sometimes it's not people's fault. And it doesn't matter what they do. They're just going to be bigger than other people. And it can be just like, it comes down so much to hormones too. Like people, I'm not like going to like launch into full facts here. But if people want to look up the hormones leptin and ghrelin, those are the hormones that make you feel hungry or make you feel satiated. And if you have changes in your sensitivities to those hormones the same way that diabetics have changes to their sensitivities to insulin then that can make it easier or harder for you to lose weight so there are these like biological things behind there where i'm like well you should never be a doctor or like someone who has a kinesiology degree might not understand this i literally had one lecture in nursing school where they talked about this in like maybe the last 10 minutes and it blew my mind because I'd never heard it before. Like, why are we not teaching everyone who works in the health field about these hormones? <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a little it, like and fun. It's also
2: just like, bad bodies are bodies, and they should be treated in the same in the same way that any body would be treated. And like, I don't know, the idea that like thin people want to take care of their bodies, like that. There's also a lot of thin people that eat the same garbage that probably the plus-size family was buying. (laughs) There are a lot of thin people that have all kinds of diseases. And like, it just, yeah, the thing is, all bodies are good bodies and all bodies deserve to be treated with respect. And also all bodies deserve to be able to go to the doctor and have the doctor listen to their list of symptoms and say, hmm, I'm going to figure out what this diagnosis is and not have it just be, Oh, well you're fat. So you're a slob and you're lazy and you can't
0: take care of yourself (laughs) because that
2: is something that happens to a lot of fat people.
0: Yeah. Anyway, that's like a whole other thing that we could go down. But my point was just that there are biological reasons that people like really have no idea about. And there is very limited education on it. Like people just don't know and it's not taught and I just wanted
1: to say like one more thing on the concept of like doctors and like underrepresented groups, because everybody thinks that like in a, in a, in the medical field, like medical research, everything that, that is such a high level of like credibility that that opinion is hundred percent valid. Right. And the thing is, is it's still a human made industry like, mm-hmm. study field, everything. And if you look at uh, certain confirmation biases, even within research, like, a really good example is that, like, if you look at the history of autism, they only actually looked at samples of young white boys up
2: until the early 2000s. Yeah, I believe that's true of ADHD, too, as well. Like, there's a lot of, of younger girls who get misdiagnosed or, like, just miss a diagnosis because they don't yeah. fit the, like, way that, the boys well, showed it yeah
1: 120% and like the intersectionality of being like a black woman and being like autistic and not being able to get the diagnosis because you're experiencing um intersectionality of like racism like anti-blackness and misogyny like misogynoir which is a whole other facet so there's like stereotypes that are put on them and if you look at statistics of like black women and then plus being like in the plus size community, like all of these different intersectional factors, like the diagnostic rate for um, like black women in some areas is about five times longer mm. than a white mm-hmm. woman. And mm-hmm. then it goes up every time you look at these differences. Mm-hmm. So anytime, like the concept of self-diagnosis in the, the autistic community is talked about a lot and people who are neurotypical are like, you can't do that. You need to talk to a doctor. And it's like the average psychologist, unless they specialize in it has a one hour seminar in their entire education on autism Mm -hmm. and they misdiagnose Mm -hmm. people all the time. And it's like, anytime you have a human interacting with another human, there are going to be cognitive biases a hundred percent in the diagnostic process, which is something that others need to respect, especially with like plus side bodies, all these different like intersectional aspects of it, because being human means you are human just because you have a degree behind it doesn't mean that you're looking at things. And
2: it also doesn't mean that like science stops. (laughs) No, like, I think that COVID was a really interesting way that that all played out, right? Like people, you know, recommendations changed, our understanding of how the disease worked changed over the course of the epidemic going out. And I think that's true of fatness. Like maybe we understood that fatness was this thing because of the BMI which is also fucked up like you know in the 60s but that doesn't mean that the science hasn't changed since then That doesn't mean that, like, there isn't more like there isn't more study on the like there isn't more um expert knowledge and I think that that comes back to that idea of listening like listen to the community listen to what the community says listen to their experiences understand their experiences and then like amplify and figure out how like with that community what the solution is and what they're asking for
1: We actually, we did a really cool interview with uh, my friend, Talon Black. She's a neuropharmacologist who's doing a lot of studies on like cannabinoids in the brain, like totally left field. But we were talking about how like research might be changing, but the trickle down to medical practice is actually quite slow. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. something to recognize as well, which is where um, like listening to the lived experiences of those people and not trying to, to devalidate them being like, well, doctor said this, or this said this. It's like, yes, but if you you know, those experiences are still valid. And even if research is changing, it doesn't mean that their lived experience in the world is going to change as like quickly because the trickle down effect is there. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. important things. But we, um I think we got to wrap it down. We always do this, this has been a banging conversation. I still have so many questions written down that I wanted to ask, but it's the way the yeah. cookie crumbles.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Bennett, where can people find you? Where can they find Climb Big if they want to look into that and and join or support it, etc.? Any brands you want to plug? I mean, we already have a couple.
1: Yeah, also any like um, for people to start unpacking their internalized, you know, fat phobia and to learn more. Um, any voices you want to amplify too, so they can kind of take along and we'll, we'll, we'll add those
2: in the bio for the episodes so they can find them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think, oh man, that's a lot. So I think the best way to interact with me is um, via my Instagram, which is just my name, Bennett Ron. Uh, The Climb Big organization also has an Instagram, but we're not super active there. And we have a Facebook group that's like a little bit more active. That's like a good way to meet like potential climbing partners and hear about meetups and that kind of thing. Um, All of those links are also in my bio on my Instagram, but I'll pass them along. Um, And in terms of like other creators, I want to amplify, I think like a lot of what's happened in the industry like that i know of is centered around like unlikely hikers is a really good place to start i think that jenny brusso has built a platform there that like is really cool and has not just about um fatness but just about kind of like anybody that experiences difference um and otherness in the outdoors so that's a really good place to start um There's a lot of other creators and I like don't want to like off the top of my head forget any. Um,
1: That's okay. Like you can also just um, anyone you think you want to mention afterwards, you can just send it to us and we will include it in the bio and mention it in the intro that it's there. So if people want to follow, we can do that because that'd probably be easier. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, totally fair. (laughs) Off the top of my head. (laughs) That's all good. Um, Were there any other like sponsors or partnerships that you wanted to plug before we head out? Not, not the moment.
2: But I appreciate it.
1: Maybe your middle school class. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Uh, I'm, I'm a a substitute, so I don't have one specific class. Although they did just get a turtle in one of the classes named Soap. So shout out to Turtle Soap. (laughs) They have a turtle
1: named Soap. Okay, herpetology is one of my special interests, just so you know. And Soap is a great name for a turtle. Oh my God. Okay. Well, (laughs) I hope all your students think you're like rad as fuck because you are so that's dope Who knows? Can, can you please pet soap for me and just say hello tori doesn't know you but she's already obsessed with you from a distance totally
2: Sick. okay awesome All right. thanks for <laughs> coming really, on yeah it was really nice to speak with you <laughs>